The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Gowan Perra columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we're catching up with Bindi Metals. ASX code is BIM. Last sale was at 17.5 cents for a market cap of $5.5 million. Now, Bindi only came to the market last year with an uh, interesting gold copper project uh, up near Gladstone in the uh, New England Fold Belt. But uh, more recently, it's uh, picked up a very interesting uh, rare earths niobium project in uh, northern Ontario. It's called Schreibert. It's uh, in the same neck of the woods as um, a host of other rare earth niobium projects. Uh, one, including the Niobec across the border there in uh, Quebec, is the only producer outside of Brazil of niobium. And niobium, of course, is uh, very sexy at the moment. It's uh, the one where uh, people think it's the next generation uh, lithium-ion batteries, particularly uh, increasing their recharge uh, capability down to uh, six minutes, if you can believe, which would be great, plus other lots of other benefits. So a lot of people working on niobium in lithium-ion batteries, so one to watch. Now, that interest, funnily enough, is uh, in the West Arunta region of Australia, Central Australia there. We have two companies, WA1 and Encounter. We have a combined market cap now of about five or $600 million. On the strength of their very similar looking rare earth niobium project. So I'm interested to talk to uh, Bindi today, given that small market cap. It's obviously an emerging story. And we have Henry Renew, the executive director, with us today to bring us up to speed on what's been going on. G'day, Henry. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Barry. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, Henry, tell us about Shrewbert, this project you picked up earlier this year. Yes. So we acquired the project in June this year with 100% ownership. And so it's a carbonatite hosted rare earth and niobium deposit, and it has high grade rare earth and niobium at surface. So we've uh, just completed a, an initial first class uh, mapping program, um, and we had great results. You know, we had up to 3.7% rare earth, and then historical niobium results of 1.8% niobium as well. So we're pretty excited about the project, and we're looking forward to getting stuck into it. Mm. Tell me, uh, give us a bit of background, how you picked the project up. I imagine there was a bit of competition for this uh, particular project. Yes. So carbonosite hosted rare earth uh, projects and niobium, sorry, um, are very sought after. They're very rare styles of intrusions. Um, you know, they're not uh, as common as, say, porphyry coppers. But this particular um, project, the number of other projects, as you were saying, in eastern Canada, hosts several um, uh, carbonatite systems. So we managed to get our hands on um, a project through uh, a prospector over in Canada and then did a very simple cash-free cash deal, just shares only, um, and very cheap for shareholders. So we're, we're excited to do some high-impact uh, exploration and we think we can really um, you know, turn the dial on the share price pretty quickly. Now, I mentioned the uh, Niobic uh carbonatite project over there in Quebec. Are there similarities? What are the similarities? And tell us a bit about what you know about Niobic. 
Sure, yeah. So um, the carbonatites in this part of the world are all very similar age, about 1.1 billion, and they're all you know hosted in fairly similar terrains. So the Nyabek system is a massive deposit. You know, the, the, there's two deposits within the carbonatite um, pipe. So there's a Nyabek, uh, sorry, there's a Niobium deposit, um, which is you know, 650 million tonnes at, at almost half percent niobium, um, and that's in production and has been since the 1970s. Uh, and then there's a separate deposit, which is the rare earth rich one, which is over a billion tonnes at 1.7% total rare earth oxides. So these systems are massive. They're comparable to, you know, large porphyry copper types of systems in the world, and especially the Andes, um, and they're very profitable mines. So we're, we're excited to see similar uh, results out at Schreibert, and, and what we've seen so far, you know, compares the the projects very very well. And moving to Australia, uh, the carbonatite that underpins Linus Mount Weld, similar again. Yes, yeah. So so these these systems are very kind of, um, you know, the the very the variety of the types of systems um, is is pretty low. So if you're getting a rare earth and niobium mineralized system. The, the similarities between the mineralized deposits are, are pretty pretty close. So, you know, we think we're at the early stage of exploration, but we think we can, you know, we might be sitting on a on a good deposit at Tribert. So, you mentioned there had been uh, some past exploration. Uh, fill us in on that. Yes. So, um, it was explored in the '60s and '70s for um, principally phosphate and niobium. There was a limited uh, uh, surface sampling program for niobium, which returned you know, over seven metres at 0.4% niobium, and then also um, some drilling for phosphate. And the majority of the assays were phosphate only with very selected um, selected zones for, for rare earths. Um, and within that, we had some highly mineralised intercepts, uh, up to 5.7% total rare earths. So while you know we're missing a few assays from that historical work, we we think we can fill in the data, and we really think we can um, have some wide, uh, high-grade intercepts at Tribert. So, how do you go about filling in that data and preparing yourself for some drill targets? Yes. So, um, as I said, we've completed our first pass mapping program, and then we've also completed a, a, a heli- helicopter-supported magnetics and radiometrics um, survey, and so we've just receive that data with some preliminary images um, and then we'll release some of that information onto the market pretty soon. And we also completed a hyperspectral survey. So with that data on hand and as well as a biogeochem survey, um, we should have yeah, enough drill targets for this upcoming drill program in, in the summer season. Right. That's our summer season? Uh, that's the Canadian summer, so winter over in Australia. Right. Okay. So... At this stage, um, still zeroing in on prospective targets. So they're essentially what magnetic lows, are they? Yes. So we've identified five prospects to date. Um, three of those are high-priority drill targets and they're walk-up drill targets. So the first one is uh, Blue Jay, uh, where we returned you know, surface mineralisation over 3% rare earths um, and also up to 0.7% niobium, and that's over you know 100, 100 metre by... 80 meter area or outcropping um and, and within those yeah, that area our rock chips returned all more than two percent um rare earth so that's that's our priority one drill target and we can we can roll a rig up right, right there and drill that so uh that 
particular target sits in a magnetic glow and a concentric part of the system. So uh, we believe that magnet, magnetic glow area, which is over, yeah, it's almost three kilometres long, um, is a mineralised dike within the carbonatite and a late stage dike. So we have another target, which is also in a magnetic load called Starling, which is where our historical high grade rare earths were in the drilling. And that's over, that's almost one kilometre long as well. And then uh, the third target is our Goldfinch one, which is the niobium rich part of the system. And that sits in a magnetic high. And so these magnetic highs, uh, earlier phases within the evolution of the carbonatite system. Um, and so these often mineralize out with magnetite. So what we're seeing in, in our Schreiber Lake carbonatite is the rare earth rich parts are sitting in the magnetic lows and then the niobium rich parts are sitting in the magnetic highs, which is exactly the same as, as the niobic system. So uh, when you do punch in some holes, what sort of depths will you be going down to, you think? Yes, yeah, so we plan for a, a bit over a 1,000 metres of drilling uh, for the upcoming program. And so we'll plan to drill to... 200 to 250 for each hole um, on a scout drill program. And although surface expression might not be that particularly big, the tonnage potential comes from these this system going, well, being a very deep sort of system. Is that right? Yes, yeah, that's correct. So um, these these dikes or pipes um, within the carbonatites can you know, be you know, have a surface put, footprint of, of yeah, you know, up to a kilometre by a kilometre wide, um, but they extend vertically, you know, within the Nybeck system for over a kilometre. So the tonnage really um, stacks up when you drill out these program, these projects. Mm. Okay. So should investors think about this as a rare earth play or an Iobian play or, a, a, you know, the, the two, two hand in hand? Well, yes, yeah, that's right. So it's two hand in hand. Um, these systems... Um, often are mineralized in both. So we're focusing on both the rare earths and niobium, and they, and they both have very good markets at the moment uh, with high, high demand. Um, and we think, you know, that's, that's really where the company is headed for the critical minerals space. Now, there, as you're, I'm sure you're aware, Henry, there's been a, a flood of uh, clay, ionic clay type discoveries in Australia that's got the market heated up, all very low grade compared to uh, the hard rock sort of uh, figures you guys uh, you encounter in these uh, carbonatites. Just to explain to investors the, the difference between the two. Sure. Um, so as you're saying, you know, the clay-hosted ionic deposits are often sub, you know, 5,000 ppm rare earths and often have difficult metallurgy. Um, so not all clay-hosted rare earths are ionic uh, and they must be ionic to be going into production. So um, that's not often spoke about, but the metallurgy metallurgy is difficult in those systems. Whereas, you know, in the, in the carbonatite hosted systems, the grade is is typically over 1% rare earths, um, also has niobium, um, and the deposit sizes are, are, are big. You know, these are big bulk tonnage systems. Um, you know, as I was saying, niobex over a billion tonnes. So that's what we're kind of aiming for, the big, you know, a big system with good grade. So we think that um, while there's a lot of clay-hosted deposits out there, um, this is really the cream of the crop, the carbonatite-hosted systems. Mm. You're being very generous to the clay-hosted. I don't think I've seen any report consistent results of 5,000 PPM. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's, more like uh, sub-1,000. More, more yeah. close to the, 
to 1,000 to 2,000. That's kind of the common <laughs> reported, but yeah. Uh, uh, just uh, my math is a bit slow this morning. So 1% is, what's that in PPM? So 1% is 10,000. So we're looking at okay. you know, yeah. two to three times the grade in these carbon Multiple Multiple factors thereof, yeah. Okay. Now, um, one thing we all know about rare earths, of course, is um, the NDPR. I won't try and pronounce those two. Uh, the magnet metals. What's the, you've got any fix on what the mix might be at your project? Yes. So uh, the um, neodymium and praseodymium, or the NDPR ratio, which is accounts for you know, 50% of the value of, of the rare earth uh, concentrates of the salt. Typically, on average, uh, for the carbonatite systems, they average around 20%. Or even 19 to 20 but what we're seeing in our rock ships and the historical work you know we're getting up to 34 percent ndpr and within our recent program we got up to 27 percent so you know and we're seeing areas around the goldfinch which average at 25 percent so we think the ndpr ratio is quite high at trimet um, and that's really going to add exponential value to to the drill program and and the project and in the introduction, I touched on uh, niobium, why it's become becoming a, a hot sector. Give investors a feel for what's driving the interest in niobium. Sure. So uh, niobium, as you kind of said, was is, is valuable to um, fast-charging lithium-ion batteries, uh, but it's also used uh, as ferro-niobium for a steel-making ingredient. Um, so it, it reduces the weight of steel but increases the strength with a small amount of niobium added. You know, essentially one tonne of steel requires a teaspoon of niobium and the weight drastically reduces and the strength increases at the same time. So there's a big market market for um, the steel alloys as well as, as the lithium ion um, uh, market as well for you know, green energy, the green energy transition, electric vehicles and, and all that type of stuff. Mm. So currently, at least while this next generation of lithium-ion batteries is developed, main use is in steel, steel production. Yes, yeah. So the, the global market is mainly for the ferro-niobium um, and that uh, sells per tonne at around 45000 So, mm. yeah, it's, it's, it's high-value metal. Mm. And controlled by Brazil, uh, one, of the, one of the few times yeah. don't, have to, don't have to say it's controlled by China. And yes. uh, Niobec, of course, making up the rest. So, so yeah. it's uh, one of those things I would imagine the steel industry around the world would like to see another uh, supplier come, in, come on board. Yes, yeah, you're right. So um, there's really only three major producers globally. Um, one of them is Niobec in Canada and then the other two come out of Brazil. But, you know, with, with the increasing demand, um, it's really restricted by supply. So... Um, with a new entry into the market, it would, it, you know, the, the, the price would still be good and the demand would still be high. Right. Now, in my opening, I mentioned that there was, in the West Arunta here in Australia, two companies, uh, WA1 and Encounter, uh, market values have taken off on the back of their uh, rare earth niobium results. I'm just wondering, why do you think uh, you guys are what uh, market cap of 5.5 million at the moment? What do you think it's going to take to... Uh, to see some of that Westerunter-style market value creation uh, wash over Bindi Metals. Sure. So really, you know, the, the main driver for value in our company is through the drill bit. So mm-hmm. um, we, we think if we get 
good results in our upcoming drill program, that'll really translate into an increase in the share price and the market cap. So um, that's what we're trying to emulate. Uh, we think we're on the same path. And yeah, it's important to note that the the first drill holes into the Looney carbonatite at WA1 were similar grades in niobium to what we're seeing at surface. Um, and the same with the recent encounter results. So yeah, it's it, you don't have to necessarily get 10 metres at 5% niobium first up. Um, it's a matter a matter of really honing in on the high grade zones of the of these systems. So yeah, we think we'll get there in the in the upcoming drill program, but we'll uh, see what the results say. Mm, yeah, exciting stuff. Uh, we should uh, quickly mention um, the uh, gold copper project, the high grade uh, copper gold project you have uh, in the uh, New England fold belt there, about ninety k southwest of Gladstone. Uh, Bella Willa, is it? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Bill Weller, yes, that's correct. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, what's the story there? Still progressing with that one? Yes, we're still working on Bill Weller. Um, we just completed a soil sampling program. Um, we're about to start a grading array IP survey um, on a number of prospects, so T3, which we just re- released. Um, some pretty impressive surface copper results. Um, and then also at the Flanagan's area, we're doing another grading array IP program. Um, and this is really to define drill targets. Um, so we're continuing to work on that because it's it's yeah it's a great project. It's got good results, um, and and we're excited about the copper. Yeah, for sure. I'll give one. All right, Henry. Um, let's uh, bring it all together. We might repeat ourselves in part here, but a good idea to finish up with giving investors what signposts they should be looking out for as the uh, rest of the year unfolds. Sure. So as I said, we'll have our magnetics and radiometrics coming out um, pretty soon um, and then we'll announce the start of the drill program hopefully within the next month we're just finalizing our drill permits um, and then we should have results out you know in probably the fourth quarter of this year and we're, we're looking forward to releasing some great results um, and then hopefully moving into a winter drill program as well yeah absolutely okay there you go folks very interesting a uh, recently listed so the uh, tight capital structure which uh Garen Perro always likes to see because that means maximum leverage to potentially exciting exploration results, which uh, could come from both the uh, Schreibert uh, Rare Earths Niobium project in uh, Ontario there or up near Gladstone on the gold and copper front. So with that, I'll say thanks for your time today, Henry. You've uh, told us an interesting story. One we'll be watching with a lot of interest. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Mary. Thanks for your time. Cheers.